Today's episode is with Dr. Kelly Brogan. She's a Manhattan-based holistic women's health psychiatrist. That's a bit of a mouthful, but she's also the New York Times bestselling author of her book, A Mind of Your Own. This is a really amazing book for women and really anyone who is questioning um, the role of pharmaceuticals in our lives. So Dr. Brogan came across the book Anatomy of an Epidemic by Robert Whitaker when she was, I guess, a new physician. And after that moment, she decided that she would no longer write prescriptions for her patients. So this is an interesting interview to learn how she came to that decision and what she is doing to change the lives of her patients and their health. It's really fascinating. You can check out her website, kellybroganmd.com. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Dr. Kelly Brogan. Hi. Hi there. How are you? I am very excited to be here. Thank you. Excellent. So I was looking at your website a little bit earlier, and you had something that made me laugh so much where um, one of the questions was, have you ever had um, an extreme reaction to someone's behavior, like your husband eating crackers, and the sound <laughs> of his chewing makes you want to strangle him? <laughs> I thought, yes, I've never that's had me. such an experience, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I thought I thought it was, you know, only me until I post when I travel and someone's chewing gum on the plane and then like all these hordes of people appear out of nowhere agreeing with me that that's death. I mean, listen, the levels of irritability that a personality like mine can soar to are pretty, pretty epic. So yes. That's awesome. So let's go through the quick and dirty of who you are and kind of what you do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it feels like it's been some long dramatic ride, but I, I can summarize it pretty, pretty quickly. So it must not be that interesting. It's, um, basically, you know, I was raised in totally, uh, conventional, family, totally conventional, you know, consciousness. In fact, um, my mom is from Italy, so I'm second generation, which for anyone who has, you know, immigrant parents, you know that you basically have two choices. You can become a doctor or a lawyer and you better make a lot of money so that, you know, you can make their long journey over the seas worth it. Right. So that was sort of, you know, why I went to medical school and I, studied neuroscience in college and I worked suicide hotline. And so I sort of had this illusion that we've cracked the code of human behavior, right? So we know exactly what's what, what to do, how to help people. We just need to get them more access to medications. And so I, I literally went to medical school in service of that, you know, ideology. And so of course, fast forward, you know, four years of trauma and indentured servitude um, in medical school, another foreign residency. And it wasn't until my specialization in fellowship, um, believe it or not, in medicating pregnant and breastfeeding women. Wow. That I began to feel like a stirring of some discomfort around you know, what I was doing uh, for a living and my own personal choices and health trajectory. I was, you know, became pregnant during that fellowship. Um, and it wasn't until about nine months postpartum that I 
developed my first um, health condition, was given my first diagnosis, which was um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune condition. And you know, you'll hear this from almost any turncoat physician uh, that they only investigated quote unquote alternative medicine or holistic medicine or functional medicine because of their own experience, their lived experience of the limitations of the model that they trained under. Wow. And that's totally my story where it was fine for me to write hundreds of prescriptions a week. But if I had to take one prescription for the rest of my life, I was like, hell no. So I, you know, I left the system and I went to see a naturopath, which you can't imagine how weird that right. is. <laughs> Back on that. You know, but it's like what doctors do in secret. It's like one of those things, one of those things. And I went to see a naturopath. I put into remission on paper, you know, this otherwise chronic and potentially disabling condition. And I was actually really pissed. And I was like, what else did I not learn? You know, what else did they not tell me? Um, You know, I had an hour of nutrition training my entire education as a, as a doctor. And I certainly never learned that changing my diet would have any impact on my, on my immune system, on my endocrine system, on my, you know, brain, on my general sense of well-being. And so I just sort of hit the books and I began to research all of the sacred cows, every medication I thought was like God's gift. And I, really um, honed in on psychiatric meds at that point. Of course, naturally, um, I was given a book called Anatomy of an Epidemic, and it's by an investigative journalist, and it, it changed my life. I never wrote another prescription again for a patient after I turned the last page. So, wow. And, you know, and then I started to really have some amazing experiences of what the body is capable of. Uh, You know, my story is, you know, whatever it is, but what I have witnessed uh, and been privileged to witness in terms of, you know, women's capacity for recovery and regeneration and reclamation. Oh my God, I just have the best job in the world. (laughs) It's awesome. Apparently the only word I can say today is wow, because that's all I've said the last (laughs) two minutes. I really do have other words. Dr. Rogan, I want you to know that. Um, So, that, what did the naturopath think when you walked in? Was he or she like, oh, we see you all the time? <laughs> you know what? I bet she does. And her, her name um, is Nicole Egenberger. She happens to be a brilliant, um, very intellectual uh, woman and, and, you know, and clinician. And so for me, that worked, right? Because we could talk about a lot of scientific, intellectual, you know, sort of you know, paradigmatic elements of the body and physiology. And the truth is that functional medicine and and naturopathic medicine is very amenable to the scientific mind, you know, where it's, it's remembering everything you learned in medical school. So the Krebs cycle and, you know, (laughs) what's the deal with mitochondria and, and how do we amplify ATP production? It's actually, you know, it fits very well. And in fact, I've left a lot of that approach behind, um, in service of what is probably more considered like faith-based healing. But I, initially it was the perfect point of entry for me because it really spoke to my mind. And so I could buy in to the fact that there was some scientific sense to the, to the approach. So what was it about the book anatomy of an epidemic that made you decide that, you had to change your practice and and basically your view on everything and kind of what was the path after that? 
I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) (laughs) I was too busy saying wow. (laughs) I'm still fired up about this. Um, And I could literally go on and on and on. But I've, I've, you know, distilled the pearls, which are, you know, Robert Whitaker is a brilliant investigative journalist. And he had no skin in the game. He set out to answer a simple question. What's the deal with the fact that we have ever escalating rates of mental health disability? Okay. Like people who cannot function because of their mental illness. And we have ever escalating rates of prescription, right? Like shouldn't the the increase in prescribing result in less disability? Isn't that the whole point of treatment? What's the deal? And so he goes through all of this non-industry published literature to basically make, I think, a bulletproof argument for the fact that medication is actually what is perpetuating exactly what it purports to resolve. So that's like a major mic drop, obviously. But I was ready to hear that because I had already done research on antibiotics and, you know, acid blockers and the birth control pill and statins and vaccines. And I was hearing the same story through the scientific literature over and over and over again, which is that there's no free lunch, you know, and that pharmaceutical companies are incentivized to suppress the existing data that tells a different story than these meds will help you take them. Right. And so why I put down my prescription pad was because I could no longer justify doing something pharmaceutically as being better than doing nothing. So I literally, you know, looked at the long-term literature. I said, my patients are going to be worse off taking these meds long-term. That's what the data says. Um, the naturalistic data that actually follows these people over time, they are going to be more likely to be literally disabled. And at that time in my practice, I had a number of professional intellectual women. I'm thinking even of one architect in my practice who weirdly and largely inexplicably just like kind of hadn't been working for a couple of years. Right. Like, and so this wasn't difficult for me to sort of get with, I had to get beyond my own dogmatic assumptions and beliefs, which I'd already started to do because of my own healing process. And so I started to offer women the opportunity to come off these meds, but no one had ever trained me how to do that. It's not something we learn. And when you say these meds, you're talking antidepressants or birth control or all of it. Um, Every other med, I would say, literally is like a cakewalk to stop apart from psychotropics. So I mean antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds, stimulants, what are called mood stabilizers, antipsychotics, sleep meds. So it's a big, you know, basket of pills that, you know, psychiatry carries around. And I offered people that opportunity. Um, Whoa, it was not pretty. I was basically running, you know, like a rehab center paged around the clock more than, you know, I would say 15% of my practice on, um, uh, medical disability just from the withdrawal process. And it was very eye opening to me about, I would say a couple years later, it started to appear in the literature that these medications result in a withdrawal phenomenon. And you ask anyone who's ever tried to stop their psych meds, what that was like, Trust me, they'll tell you it's, mm-hmm. it was not pretty, but we are trained as, as physicians to tell those people, Oh, well, you see you're mentally ill. That's why you can't stop taking it. But actually the literature tells, you know, a different story. And, and my patient 
<laughs> my patients would tell a different story. They would say, no, 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 this wasn't how I was feeling before I went on meds. This is a totally new kind of, you know, hell <laughs> that, that is <laughs> right. like worse. And so then I put two and two together and I said, okay, so I healed myself. What did that take? What, you know, what did that accomplish? And what it really accomplished was basically conferring physical resiliency, right? So draining my bucket of burdens. Um, and so what if I asked women to do that first before we tapered? And that's when, you know, the angel started singing out of my Madison Avenue office because uh -huh. I started to have one miraculous outcome after another, things I never thought were possible and, you know, so many side benefits. And, uh, and so I've stuck with that ever since. So what is your protocol? I mean, I know you can't go through all of it, but you, ha you have a woman who comes into your office and she's on, you know, assorted antidepressants, anti-anxiety, birth control pills, and she's got symptoms of fatigue and gut dysfunction and mood disorder. Like, where do you even start? So I have to preface what I'm about to say with the fact that I had the deep existential privilege um, this lifetime to work with Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, who I'm guessing, you know, many of your listeners don't know of him. Um, and tragically, you know, for me and others, he died very suddenly in 2015. But in my opinion, he was the most important figure in modern medicine. Why? Because he in his meticulous, highly pedigreed manner, um, basically gave us evidence for what is possible through natural healing. And he made room for no carve outs. Okay. So if you think of a patient who probably can't be cured through natural medicine, uh, I don't know, you might think of a terminal cancer patient, you know, stage four metastatic, you know, Mayo clinic confirmed all over the body, um, heading for hospice, right? Like you might be like, well, good luck, you know, with right. your or whatever. And, you know, he worked with those patients day in and day out for 27 years with long-term outcomes. So not like the miracle cure that recurs like two years later, like decade long outcomes, um, in all manner of degenerative, like hopeless cases, right? So I got to work with this man, you know, he was literally like a Jesus figure for me in my life. There was my life before meeting him and my life after. And he basically anointed my protocol. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I had already come pretty far, but I had a lot of questions. And one of the questions was, you know, as a former ethical vegetarian, how could it be that red meat is required to heal my patients. Like what the hell is the deal with that? And why is it that I have a template where it's basically the same diet for everyone that I recommend. And I don't believe that there's one diet for everyone. So why is this working over and over and over again? And he helped me to understand that. So, you know, this protocol is not for everyone, but it happens to be near miraculous for people who struggle with depression, diagnoses of ADHD, with multiple chemical sensitivities, with a number of different autoimmune conditions, with allergies, with migraines, um, with uh, hypothyroidism, you know, and there's a whole profile of people who are largely attracted to my work where it, this is sort of a slam dunk. But I think the reason I was able to abandon a lot of the fancy, expensive um, functional medicine testing I used to do 
you know, looking into all of those like different scientific parameters, like, you know, urine testing and stool testing and saliva testing of cortisol and all that stuff, um, was because I just found out that if you make a simple choice to commit well beyond your comfort level for one month, really intense signals of safety are sent to your nervous system and all sorts of stuff just fixes itself. Wow. So, so I can be, you know, I have a reputation for being like very uncompromising, <laughs> in, you know, in my approach and I stand by it because I am, you know, can be very demanding and paternalistic, um, you know, with my patients, with my online program, you will not get a refund if you have not done it. Okay. And, that's because I believe that really, really epic things are possible if you just commit and then you're set free. You know, my, my patients come to me, sometimes we work together for two months and we're done. So this is not like a chronic model of needing to, you know, revisit this protocol over and over again. It's like a one and done. But it's a pretty intense. So what it consists of, I can boil down pretty easily. Uh, what it consists of is a very, very strict commitment to what happens to be a delicious dietary model. Okay. <laughs> and so it's not like I'm asking for like water fasting, you know, for a month or like, you know, green juices all day or whatever and nothing else. Um, and if this diet sounds in some way appealing to you, even in a way that feels like surprising to you, like let's say you're a vegetarian, um, then that's important. So the diet is basically um, uh, ideally consciously sourced animal products, right? So it's red meat inclusive three to five times a week. Um, and so in this model, red meat is beef, lamb. Um, it actually uh, includes pork strangely, uh, in this metric that sort of counts. Um, so poultry is included, fish is included, eggs with the yolks are included, and then any and all vegetables except for white potatoes. I'll explain why in a moment. Um, any and all fruit that you happen to like, although most of my patients are not big fruit people, which is interesting. Um, nuts and seeds and tons of natural oils and fats. So ghee, which is like a clarified butter, coconut oil, um, and then, you know, avocado and other, of course, vegetarian sources. Okay. So lots of natural salt, lots of filtered water. And the truth is there's like a lot of delicious stuff that you can make simple meals. Like, you know, if you want to throw on some steak and, you know, broccoli rob, and that sounds good to you for dinner, like this is going to be really easy for you. But the problem is that you, what you're taking out often can induce like some pretty major changes on the nervous system and immune system level. And so the first week to 10 days can be somewhat challenging. If it is like, so stick with it because the payoff is going to be massive. The, the foods that we're taking out, so it's processed dairy and all grains uh, we're taking out beans, which includes soy and peanuts. Um, we're taking out processed sugar, although maple syrup and honey are fine. Um, and then we're taking out, which is a real big one for a lot of people, you know, in New York, especially um, alcohol and coffee. Oh, coffee hurts. It does. It's actually the hardest. It's the sticking point for almost uh. all of my patients. And I get it because I used to be a six cup a dayer. So is it gone? 
Is coffee oh, gone? Yeah. Oh, way gone. Oh, see, I feel like that's my last holdout because I don't really, although I do do beans, do do, do beans, um, yeah, coffee. Well, okay. so, so what we heard about the starches is that the beans, the gluten-free grains, so things like rice and oats um, and the white potatoes are taken out for the month, but then they are, I would say, almost universally reintroduced without a problem. Unless you have like a ton, ton, ton of gut dysfunction, which could be the case, those are, are really intense prebiotic um, starches. And so your gut may not be ready for them. They may be feeding all the wrong uh, bacteria. And so you want to really control for it where you take it out and then mindfully reintroduce it and see, do I have gas, bloating, fatigue? So it's not that those are problematic for the long term, but you just want to sort of know. Um, because actually most of the women, if not all the women I work with do better on like a moderate starch diet. This is not a ketogenic diet. It's not a low carb diet. Mm-hmm. Um, but the coffee is a big one. I don't actually think it's bad for everyone. In fact, you know, my partner and I debate, he runs premedinfo.com and we debate about, you know, all of the evidence-based properties of coffee, you know, and its benefits. It has a ton of polyphenols, you know, it, it really can be a sacred beverage. But if you have issues with um, anxiety or sleep or energy, it's worth giving yourself a month off. It's worth it because it may not be a good fit for you. And I used to think I was tired all the time. I literally thought I was just a tired person. Oh, by the way, I also thought I was really irritable. And <laughs> I can be, but the elimination of coffee from my life, I am literally never tired during the day and I sleep like a baby. And I I, I think that co- coffee robbed me of that, you yeah. know relationship to myself for like many, many years and whatever. It was the choice I made at the time that I made it, but, uh, it's, it's worth the, the sort of biohack, you know, to see. So just really quickly, the other major pillars of this protocol that are non-negotiable. Okay. So, so you've committed to a month of that diet. That means like not a molecule of what's on the no list. It just mm-hmm. needs to be that way. So most of the time you're cooking at home for that month, um, which can represent a big, big shift for people. But these are not like two-hour recipes. The recipes that I offer are like idiot-proof because this kind of food is very easy to cook. You know, like I make a meat sauce. I have a recipe on my website that takes like 20 minutes. And then I eat it for dinner and then I eat it for lunch two more days in the week. It's like easier, you know, than spending $40 on ordering, you know, ordering out or whatever. Right. So the other components are um, daily meditation three minutes a day. So – you know, I was someone who never used to meditate. I thought it was a good idea. I'm sure for other people to do (laughs) when it came to me, I just never, this just was not uh, something I was going to make time for or prioritize. And so my bias has been, you know, what turned me on to a committed daily practice, which is a, a kind of old kind of yoga called Kundalini yoga. And the meditations are really adaptable to like super short, um, effective, you know, bursts. So three minutes is all that's required. And honestly, it does it have to be Kundalini yoga. Absolutely not. I don't care if I always say like, if you pray to a leprechaun for three minutes, that's fine, but you (laughs) have to pause. You have to pause. Um, and, and just for that short period of time in order to send your nervous system, the signal that it's not in perpetual fight or flight. Um, so to bring that regenerative, you know, energy back online. So that's another, and the last piece is really 
you know, a lifestyle-based issue, which is detox. So how do we buy products more consciously? How do we filter water and air? You know, are you somebody who needs to take it farther because you're on a number of meds and you want to come off them? Where uh, one of the gifts that Dr. Nick's Nicholas Gonzalez gave me is the notorious coffee enema that now I'm like all literally all over mainstream media as endorsing <laughs> they love that one. But, um, you know, uh, there was my practice before the coffee enema and my practice after, and you know, my practice is devoted to tapering, um, women off of psychiatric meds. So it's a unique population, but let me tell you like that you don't want to do it without this tool. And it's something you do on your own, you know, it takes 20 minutes in the privacy of your own bathroom, but it's not always necessary. So I will say that. So that's it. And it's like a month of that. And it's a high level of commitment. It's going to be like the month of your life that you do this, but it's so you're like, I want to just be like a Maybelline commercial or whatever. And just say you're worth it. Like you're so worth that level of investment to just see like who you really are at the bottom, you know? Right. Like so many times we don't even want to give ourselves the time that it takes to figure out who we are. Exactly. And that's really all this is, right? It's stripping away all the external factors that get in the way. Yes, that's exactly right. So I want to be respectful of your time. We only have a few more minutes. Let's talk about your book, A Mind of Your Own, a little bit. It was fantastic, by the way. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you think so. So what did you hope to accomplish with this book? Hmm. So I, I, as you can probably imagine, garnered like tremendous criticism and, yes. and pushback. Um, but what's weird is that there are almost, I, I've never seen like a, a negative review. So it's a, it's like a weird thing um, about the book because I think you can't fight with the science. You know, the science is the science is the science. And, you know, you can criticize me and character assassinate me all day long. Frankly, I don't care. But the science is what it is. And all I wanted to do was to shine a light on it um, so that people can make informed choices. I am not here to tell people what to do. I am not here to even suggest what's better or worse for a given person. I believe that we are attracted you know, to the treatment that makes sense to us from the level of consciousness we are operating from. But I believe that it is unethical to an extent that should have you know, the, the entirety of the medical guild up in arms that we are not properly consenting specifically women around prescribing of actually all medications, particularly those aimed at women like birth control. Um, but women are prescribed double what men are in terms of psychiatric medications. So if you know the truth, which is that there are risks of, you know, habit formation. It could be really hard to stop these meds. If you know that the truth, the science says that you may be one of those people who develops a really unexpected reaction where you have odd behavior, even violent behavior after a couple of doses, where you are someone who, you know, develop psychiatric um, symptoms because of another medication you were never told could give you psychiatric symptoms like an antibiotic mm -hmm. um, or a vaccine. That's not ethical medicine, right? You need to know it's possible so that you're taking on that risk with eyes wide open. And by the way, you might also want to know what's in the locked file drawer of a lot of these pharmaceutical companies that tells a very different story about the efficacy of these meds. Like, do they really work? for the reasons we think they do. Um, and is there, you know, a safer, cheaper, perhaps more effective, you know, choice 
that you should at least be made aware of. So that's why my goal in life is to collect as many um, video testimonials of people who have defied dogma, who have shed their disease levels, who have, you know, shed their medications and feel not only vital, but literally like the self they always, always, always wanted to feel like. So that's sort of, you know, what I'm in it for. I love it. You're like a hope giver. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, and that, that was part of my spiritual process is like shedding all my rage and indignation, <laughs> really, because I got to a really dark place. Um, and, and it's like Nietzsche has that quote, you know, where you activists can become the monster they're fighting, you know, and I was dangerously close to that, um, where, where I thought I was here to take down the pharmaceutical industry. And, and honestly, it's not necessary, because I'm here to celebrate what's possible and to put a microphone to it, you know, put it on video and shine a light on it, because people will awaken if they are meant to, you know, to be attracted to that. And, and then they can't, they can't not but do it. You know what I mean? Right. So that's really what I've learned is the more powerful approach. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Brogan. And I'll post the links up to your book and your website so everyone can get to know you a little bit better. Total pleasure to connect. Thanks so much. Thanks. <laughs> 